Well, Jesus is the reason for the season. He is the main topic of discussion. He is the headliner of our sermon series. Our sermon series is simply entitled, Jesus Is. As we have been studying the book of Mark, and if you're just coming back in, if it's been a little while since you've been here, uh, we started this journey when I first took over as pastor in August of 2016. My goal in preaching the Word of God is to go through an entire Old Testament book, an entire New Testament book, a topic, a doctrine, and a gospel all in one year so that you get a full diet of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. So we started going through the book of Mark back in August of, or it was in the fall of 16, and we got through a few chapters. And uh, last year we got through chapter 3, and now we're moving into chapter 4. Last week we did verses 1 through 20 as we talked about the parable of the sower, which I really believe should be called the parable of the soils. But today we're moving on to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. The sermon is entitled this afternoon, The Light of Christ That Comes to You. The Light of Christ That Comes to You. Again, why do we call the sermon series Jesus Is? The reason why is in the book of Mark, as with the other Gospels as well, the writer is constantly saying that Jesus is showing himself to be the Son of God that the world was waiting for because he has power over nature, power over demons, power over blindness, power over paralysis, power over sickness and sin and even death. And I want us to think about that in this story and in every story that we read in Scripture. When Jesus does or says something, we need to focus on the fact that Jesus is saying to the world, I am the Son of God. I am the one. You've been waiting and now I am here. A lot of times in a couple of weeks we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus calming the storm. And as Americans uh, in 2018, we run to application and say, well, Jesus, those stories about the storms of our life and how Jesus comes to calm the storms. No, Jesus is calming the storms to show you that he has power over the waves because he is the son of God. It's all about him. It's a hymn book. That's what the scriptures are. It's all about him. Now, because he is the son of God and he's the Lord of my life, that has great implications for my life. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. But when Jesus Christ comes, he comes as light. And when we see him, we see the light. Reminds me of a story, and this is a true story. Okay, this is not a fun Eddie Jones parable. This actually happened. Uh, the day before my grandmother passed away, my father was bedside with her, and my, my mom was lying in her bed staring at the ceiling, and she said, Pete, the light! the light. And my dad looked at her and said, mom, who is it? Is it Jesus? Do you see Jesus? And she said, no, the light, it's filthy. When's the last time you cleaned that? (laughs) True story. True story. And if you knew my grandmother, you would know how well, how fitting that was in her final day that she was complaining about the light not being clean. But I illustrate that story to say that my father's first reaction was, who is it? Do you see Jesus? Because somewhere intrinsically in the heart of human beings, we know that Jesus is light. Even non-believers who reject Jesus Christ, they've ever heard his name, they've ever heard the story about coming to the light, seeing the light, they know that Jesus is the light. And if you don't know that and you open the scriptures, it is everywhere. 
Our hearts testify that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and He came into this world of darkness to shine light with a purpose and a plan. So as we get ready to walk into Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, what's the big idea? What do I want us to see in one sentence to get our hearts and our minds ready? I'd say this. The light of Christ that comes to you reveals God's eternal kingdom, and this light requires your immediate response. Say it again. The light of Christ that comes to you reveals God's eternal kingdom, and this light requires your immediate response. So we will see as the light of Christ comes to us this morning in the opening and the reading of His Word how it is that we too will respond. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Mark. Second book of the New Testament, okay, book of Mark, will be in chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 998 in your Pew Bible in front of you. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in and to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day. And uh, we just thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you sent into this world as light. And oh, how his light has shined in our hearts. He shined in our lives. He shined in this church. He shines in this community. And yet, we still need more of his light. And we need to be obedient to the light in which he is already shining. And we struggle. We struggle in a world of darkness that desperately needs more of Jesus. Would you give us more of Jesus this morning, Father, as we read your word, the written word. We remember Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, and we ask that you shine his light into our lives and show us through the Holy Spirit how you would have us to respond to the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that the kingdom of God is being established and one day will be made new. Help us to walk through this passage considering what Christ has done, and what He expects us to do in response. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Something that the Scriptures often talk about is the contrast of darkness and light. And the funny thing is, you don't understand one until you contrast it with the other. But when I stop and think about this, how is it possible that we have a God who's holy and sinless and created the world, Yet the world we live in is something we say is dark and not light. All right? Something I maybe did not realize until I became a Christian is how dark this world really is. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I remember sitting down, I think it was with uh, Larry Guido, and we were just talking about tragedies that had recently taken place, another mass shooting. And it's amazing how that has become normal. If you turn on the news and hear that eight people were gunned down somewhere, are you shocked anymore? No. Because that is a normal thing that takes place in our world because our world is a world of darkness. Sometimes we don't know how bad it can get, but we also don't know how good it could be. All right, so when I think about light and darkness, 
I would say this. When God created the world, He said, let there be light. But when mankind sinned, He said, let it be dark. All right, God did not create the world to be what it is today. He did create it in goodness, and He created it in perfection. And He said, let there be light so that people could see everything that He was creating. And every day, every day of His creation, He'd stop and say, it's good. And He made human beings and said, it's very good. And human beings said, no, we, we want to be the king of our own kingdom. And sin entered the world, and that light got dark. And God cast them out. And since then, we've been contrasting light and dark, light and dark. See, there is light in this world because of God, and there is darkness in this world because of us. And Jesus Christ came to shine radiant light that we would know that we still have a chance to turn towards light and turn away from darkness. He's the light of the world, and the Apostle John is one of the many writers of Scripture that repeats this over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures. I just want to read a few. John 12, 46, John chapter 12, verse 46 says, quoting Christ, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In John chapter one, verse four, he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Further on in chapter one, verse nine of John, it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And finally, in John chapter 8, verse 12, and it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One of the things that Christ is doing when he shines light into our world is that he's showing us the kingdom of God. And I feel like every couple of weeks or even months as we go through sermon series, there's, there's passages that come up that talk about the kingdom of God, and I go back to certain definitions because repetition is good for us. Sometimes we forget, and sometimes we use words in church every week, and we just assume people know what they mean, and they don't. All right, so I'm just going to assume for a moment that many of you don't fully understand that term, kingdom of God. Some of you do, some of you don't. What does it mean when the Bible says the kingdom of God? Well, the best definition that I have found is that there's a theologian in Australia named Graham Goldsworthy, and he has a simple statement that says this, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Okay, if you're a note taker, I'll say it one more time. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now, I want you to think about the kingdom of God in terms of how the world started, where we are now and where the world's one day going to be. All right, so I always take us back to the beginning because we need to see the Bible as one story, the story of God. There's 66 individual books that make up one united story. So in the beginning of time in the book of Genesis, we learn about this idea of a kingdom. And when God creates the Garden of Eden, He creates Adam, and out of the rib of Adam, He creates Eve, the first man, the first woman. All right, and through them, God intended to build a kingdom. They were God's people, okay? He made them, they're His own. In God's place, He was dwelling with them in the garden. Under God's rule, they were called to obey God and receiving God's blessing. If they obeyed, they would be blessed. Simple as that, all right? However, 
If they had obeyed, that garden would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as Adam and Eve had children and they had children and they had children. If sin and death and disease had not entered into the world because of their disobedience, they would, the kingdom of God would be what the world is today. All of us would be free of death, free of sin, free of disease, and we would all love each other the way we should and we would honor God as we should and the world would be as God originally intended for it to be. But guess what happened? Adam and Eve were given a choice. And they could choose to have God be the king of their kingdom, or they could choose to reject God and build their own kingdom. And that's exactly what they did when they ate from the forbidden fruit. When God said, you can eat from any tree of the garden, but do not eat from that one. Satan said to them, God knows that if you eat that, you'll be like him. And Adam and Eve said, Ooh, we get to be like God. We get to know good and evil and build our own kingdom. Move out of the way, God. I want my fruit because I want my kingdom. And ever since that moment happened, human beings rejected the kingdom of God, and God rejected them and kicked them out of the garden. And they were sent out into the wilderness, away from the manifested presence of God. However, God could have left it that way, but He didn't. He covered their nakedness with animal skins, and He made a promise that one day He would send His Son, who would be the seed of a woman, and although the, that, that seed, that, that human being would come and have his heel bruised by a serpent known as Satan, he would crush the head of Satan and make a way from death to life. That was the promise. All right? But after the Garden of Eden and sin, we see the whole Old Testament of the nation of Israel struggling to reestablish this kingdom. And then we see now in the gospel, Jesus has come. And as he's come, he's telling the world the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And he comes and establishes the church, his body, which he says the gates of hell will not prevail against. He's going to build his kingdom through the body of Christ. And then in Revelation, at the very end, he says that when he comes back a second time, he will fully establish the kingdom and everything will be new and permanent. Hear this good news before we look into the text. If you're a Christian and you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you want Him to be the King of your life and you want to live under His rule with Him in His place, receiving His blessing, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, all things will be made new and you'll live on a new earth in a new body for all of eternity with no death, no disease, joyful living in the presence of God for all of eternity. Where do I sign up? Sign-up sheets are in the vestibule, right? This is what God has promised us. But before we can receive the promise, we need to know the promise is there, and Jesus is coming. And He comes here in Mark chapter 4 as light. And He's saying, I'm not going to be put under a basket or a bed. I'm shining this light as bright as I possibly can with this good news that I call the gospel, that the kingdom of God is arrived. It arrives in a person, the Lord Jesus. And what is our response our response is to repent, believe, and obey. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, when Jesus leaves the wilderness and He begins His earthly ministry, He says in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right, Repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. I'm going to go through those three words a lot today. When we see light, when God reveals truth, He expects us to repent of darkness to believe in His light, and then obey what He's called us to do. Easier said than done, but that's exactly what He's called us to do. And one of the things that we struggle with is that we have this attitude of, I'll deal with Jesus later. I'm having too much fun living in darkness. I don't want light. 
And as we'll talk about it at the end of the, our time together this morning, how foolish a statement that really is when we know how radiant light can be. How beautiful it is to live in light when you're finally willing to turn away from the empty promises of darkness. So, let us look together at two aspects of this kingdom proclamation as the light of Christ comes to us. So, number one, the light of Christ that comes to you has a purpose. The light of Christ that comes to you has a purpose. All right, listen to verses 21 through 22. It says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Simply put, I believe this means that Christ came to shine everywhere and He came to reveal everything. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You can try to stick me under a basket. You can try to stick me under a bed. You can try to quench the light. But I came to shine and shine everywhere so that this dark world knows that God is light. This dark world will know that God is light. And he he came to reveal everything. He reveals the darkness of our sin and the true light of life living for the glory of God. In Christ, only in Christ can we know who we really are. And only in Christ can we know who God really is. Here's what I mean by that. I've said this many times. The closer that I get to Christ, the more easy it is for me to see the depth of my sin. I've used this example many times. So earlier in our service, we had a time of confession. That's so important to me. It's something that's been lost in our churches, and I'm glad to see other pastors are are restoring that to their worship service. All right, and many years ago, I think I mentioned I was Lutheran, and Lutherans have that in their service as well. And I remember as a new believer just reciting those words, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and sitting in the pew and literally thinking in my mind, I mean, come on, what did I really do that was bad this week? And I take my past week and I compare it with what I saw on WTOC. Didn't shoot anybody, wasn't arrested on Bull Street, didn't go streaking on River Street, all right, paid my bills, so in the past, I'm good. Yet the closer that I get to the Lord Jesus Christ and the more that I try in my best effort, fueled by grace and the power of the Spirit, to live like Jesus and for Jesus, the more I realize how impossible that is without His grace. And I realize that even my thought life, all right, even since this morning, all right, waking up and coming to church and thinking through ministries with our deacons and getting ready to preach, thoughts of pride and arrogance rise up in my heart for a second. And I've got to, I've got to cast it out and say, this church is not about me. It's about Christ. And, and every I mean, literally, within the last hour, I've had to wrestle with sin in my heart. All right, all of us have that sin, but it's only when you get close to the light of Christ that that light shines in darkness. The closer that you get to Jesus, the more that you will not be confused about what to confess in your life. I promise you, if you are struggling about what to confess, you probably aren't as close to the light as you think you are. All right, but the other thing it does, all right, maybe that's the dreary side of our darkness, but the closer we get to Christ, the more that we see the light of God the light of life, a taste of heaven. We see God do miraculous things and we say, God, you are good. God is good all the time because all the time God is good. And you know more of his goodness when you see more of his light. And that's what Jesus came to show us. He's saying the kingdom of God is among you. 
You now have an opportunity, Jesus is saying, through me, through my finished work and what I'm going to do on that cross and rising from the dead, I'm going to make a way from death to life. I'm going to let God be the king of your life again if you'll repent and believe because the kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe, and obey. That's what he's coming to do. And that's the purpose. And he will not be put to death if only for three days and rise again. That light will not go into darkness forever. Jesus came not to be put under a basket or under a bed, but on a stand to cast all four corners of the earth. Jesus' light and everyone will see his light. That's the purpose of why he came. That's the light of Christ that comes to you that has a purpose. But moving down to finish off the text, number two, the light of Christ that comes to you has a plan. Has a plan. Listen to verses 23 through 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let me just make this as simple as I can. I believe this is saying that the light of Christ requires immediate attention. Immediate attention. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you have ears to hear, listen up. If you have eyes to see, pay attention. If you're using the light, I'll give you more. If you're not responding in obedience to the light, I'm going to take away the light that you already have. He's requiring immediate attention. And he will only shine brighter for those that turn to him in repentance, belief, and obedience. See, here's what I want to say. I think sometimes people come into church, and I, I, I want to confess this. Again, I've been a Christian for almost a decade, but I used to come to church and I'd be really insecure about this book. I'd be insecure about it. So I wouldn't come to Bible studies. I wouldn't go to all kinds of things because I didn't want someone to find out what little I knew about that book. I was insecure. And so I thought, I'm not as good a Christian as somebody over there, John Doe over there, who knows the Bible backwards and forwards and had sword drills since he was three years old and grew up in the RAs and GAs and all the Southern Baptist life. And all of a sudden, this guy knows the Scriptures, so he must be holier than me. God is not calling for you to be a Bible scholar. God is calling for you to be obedient to the light you have already received. I'm not scared of what I don't know. I'm scared of what I do know, but what I'm not being obedient to. Every single one of us in this room, no matter how much Bible knowledge you have, you know basic right and wrong when it comes to God, I would imagine. The question is, with the light that you have received, have you been obedient to it? God commands us to be obedient to the light that we have received. And if we are obedient and we turn to God and we do our very best to live for Him and confess our sin when we don't, guess what happens? He gives us more light. Sometimes you don't have the knowledge of Scripture you want to have because God is saying, why should I give you more when you haven't done anything with what I've already given you? If you know one verse of Scripture, chew on that and live for that and then let God open up your your door just a little bit wider and shine His light just a little bit brighter. You know, I think about my own conversion experience. I got saved in the latter part of 2016 into January of 2006, excuse me. Boy, that'd be really bad if you called me your pastor before I was saved. Uh, Wow. Uh, December of 2006 into January of 2007, there were several moments that I prayed for Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And I can't tell you the exact moment I was saved. I can tell you the season of life, and I can tell you what it was like. Okay? I remember I was living in Augusta, Georgia. All right, I was working for the baseball team there as director of broadcasting and corporate marketing, and the broadcasting I loved, the corporate marketing I hated, all right, because I had to cold call all kinds of companies and ask them to, to 
by billboards on the outfield wall, and I would procrastinate because I got tired of hung, being hung up on, you know, nobody likes cold call sales, right? Now I know what it's like to be the guy on the other end of the line getting hung up on 20,000 times. And I just remember being miserable. You know, God will bring us to the darkest place to shine that radiant light. Some of you, most of you who came to faith, came to faith because God let you get broken and down to ground zero before he built you back up. And that's what he did to me. I was questioning why I was on this earth. I was questioning if God was real. And if he was, how could I trust the Bible? And let me tell you what happened. I began to cry out to God. I said, God, I've heard the name of Jesus. I understand this whole thing about death and resurrection and a Bible and church. But is it real? If it is real, show it to me, Lord, and I'll be obedient to it. And here's what God did. I remember one day I was driving on the side of the road and uh, or I was driving on the road, I pulled off on the shoulder, and I was listening to a sermon. And it was actually a sermon I found out years later. It was from a great pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, named Alistair Begg. And I noticed he had a Scottish accent. It was really strange. Uh, but he was a good preacher. And I just pulled over, and I listened and listened and listened. I thought, maybe what he's saying is true. Maybe the Bible is real. Maybe I need Jesus. And then I'd talk to my friends who were Christian, and I'd ask them questions. Say, tell me about this Jesus. And then I went to Barnes & Noble. I bought my first NIV Bible. And, and I began to read it, didn't understand it, but began to read it. Then I started visiting churches. And then finally, in January of 2007, I got to the point where I realized I was a sinner who needed to be saved, and I believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose to make a way from death to life, and asked me to put my faith and trust in Him for eternal life. And I gave my life to Christ. And since then, He has given me more light and more light and more light and more light. And I'm grateful for that. Now, I wish I could tell you that every single moment I'm convicted of sin, I immediately repent, I'm immediately obedient, and I'm just this Christian soldier that never falls. I fall daily, but at least I fall towards light. And that's what we need to do. We need to understand this light. We need to understand that it will shine brighter when we turn towards Him and remember those three words, repent, believe, and obey. Repent, believe, and obey. Perhaps when we talked about this idea of light, you thought of a hymn. All right, there's a famous hymn, and this is the perfect time in the sermon where the pastor sings the hymn and the congregation is overwhelmed with his lyrical skills. I do not have any of those skills, so I'm going to read the lyrics instead of sing them, okay? Perhaps you've heard the hymn, I Saw the Light. Okay, listen to the lyrics in light of this passage, okay? I wandered so aimlessly, my life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claimed for my own. Then like the blind man that God gave back his sight, praise the Lord, I saw the light. And then the third verse, I was a fool to wander and stray. Straight is the gate and narrow the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Living in darkness, and then they see light. Realizing how awful that life was and how great this life is now. Would never turn back to that life again. Would turn here as quick as he possibly could if he knows what he knows now. And what he knows, what Jesus knows, what I know, I'm trying my desperate best to be able to share for all of you to know. You will regret every day you live in darkness and do not turn to light. 
All right, the devil will try to tell you that darkness is fun. The devil's business. All right, the darkness will lead to empty promises that will never be fulfilled. Obedience to Christ, it may, it may seem heavy at first, but it brings freedom because you can be all that God intended for you to be. Think about in this hymn, if, if the hymn writer basically procrastinated on turning to the light and continued to live in darkness. Think about what would have happened. He'd still be wandering aimlessly. He'd still be sinning. He'd be in more darkness, more unhappiness, more sorrow, more blindness, more worries, more fears, and more movement in the wrong direction away from God. All in that one hymn. Because when he understood that he needed a Savior and he understood God was calling him to repent, believe, and obey, he said, I want to hang out on, you know, he he didn't say, I want to hang out in the darkness a little bit longer, but many of us do. Many of us do. So I want to land the plane here and I want to be practical. All right, so how do I sum this up, this short little passage, and give us something to think about in terms of our own life? In one sentence, the light of Christ that comes to you is the gospel of Christ that changes you. So embrace Christ's light. Say it one more time. The light of Christ that comes to you is the gospel of Christ that changes you. So embrace Christ's light. All right, I say this every week because it applies every week. There's two different types of people that I'm addressing right now. There are those of you that do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there are those of you that do know Him as Lord and Savior, and you're called to live for Him as well. So let me first address the non-believers, and let me share what is called the gospel. And I want you to hear clearly. For those of you that come often, I use five words, because these five words tell us the whole story. Here's the five words. God, man, sin, Christ, response. God, man, sin, Christ, response. Let me start with the first one, God. The Bible says that God always was, is now, and will, ever, will always be. And He's holy and loving. Those are two attributes that we can understand. Holy, He's perfect and pure and set apart, makes no mistakes, and commits no sins. Loving, that He's committed to the greater good of His creation. And that He's tender-hearted and merciful towards us. Man, Man made in the image of God is called to also be holy and loving. We're called to be free of sin. We're called to be pure. And we're also called to live for other people's greatest good. Sin comes in and taints that holiness and that love. All right, It defiles us so we're no longer pure. And it makes us selfish so that we're no longer loving. And if we're not holy and not loving, although God loves us and wants to be with us, because He's holy, He has to separate from us. So if God who is holy can't be in the presence of a sinner, but He's loving and He wants us to come to Him, how does He resolve the conflict? The answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived perfectly the way that we should have lived, earning our holiness, our righteous standard. Died sacrificially the death that we deserve, taking on our punishment. Rose from the dead three days later, making a way from death to life. Ascended to the Father, sending down the Holy Spirit to help us. And then made a promise that one day he's coming back to make all things new. And that final word is response. The message that I have just shared with you commands a response. There is no neutral ground. Jesus is either your Lord or he's a lunatic. All right, one or the other. You either repent and believe or you disobey and don't believe. You either turn towards light or you remain in darkness. 
No human being will ever stand before God and say, I'm a good person. Because when His light shines into the darkest places of your life, your thoughts, your heart, your soul, the depth of your being, you may have done a lot of good moral deeds, but you'll be found guilty and separated from God for all of eternity. But... If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get credit for everything He did right, and He took on the penalty for everything you did wrong, so you'll be declared innocent, and you'll be reunited with God in His kingdom forever. That's worth shining some light on. Now, there are some of you that have responded to that light by putting your faith in Him. But He wants to shine more light. And your windows are shut and your shades are drawn. There's an element of growth in the Christian life that you just haven't experienced because you refuse to turn daily to His light. What do I mean by that? Practically speaking, from day to day. All right, Dave and I use this expression often because it's practical. Do the next right thing. All right, when you're struggling to say, God, what do you want for my life? How about wash the dishes? All right, I love that expression we heard at the missions conference. Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. Sometimes obedience to God is a thousand small areas and steps of obedience each day, of loving your wife a little bit uh, more faithfully and, and honoring your, your uh, employer more faithfully and taking care of all the things that God has given you. But another aspect is this. There are many of you in this room who know what you're doing is wrong. For those of you, again, who have a common law marriage or are living together outside of marriage, and you say, well, what we do, we're telling the state one thing so we can get benefits, but what we're really doing, God knows we're, we're mono, you know, monogamous and faithful to each other behind closed doors. No, you're lying to get benefits. You're living in sin, and God ain't blessing that, so the light of Christ is not shining brighter in your life. All right? For some of you, I don't know what the, what, every single one of us has a different walk with God. For some of us, it's being dishonest in our finances. We know how to work the system. But the system of God is complete transparency and honesty. For some, it's the way we're treating our spouses. For others, it's the way that we're treating our employers. For some, it, it may be our thought life. Maybe we don't do anything wrong, but we spend time fantasizing about things that we should never do and about places we should never go. And that's where all sin starts is here. If you want more of God in your life, you want to know His power and you want to know His presence and you want to know His light, it's time to draw the shades. It's time to open the window. It's time to let the light shine in. And you do that by the three things I've been mentioning the whole sermon. Repent, believe, and obey. No matter what you've done, make it right with God. Turn to Him and confess. Believe that He will forgive you and cleanse you and make you new. And then to the very best of your ability, be faithful and obedient to Him, knowing that you're not going to be perfect. You've been declared perfect in Christ, but you're being made perfect through His Spirit. Day by day, say, God, let me be faithful to the light You've shown me. And you know what will happen? He'll show you more light. That's what He says in the Word. To those who have, more will be given. And to those who have not, those who have very little, it'll all be taken away. So as the light of Christ comes to you, just remember these three words. Repent, believe, and obey. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I remember the words of Brother Ronnie earlier that we are a blessed church. Your light has shone brightly in this place. 
But Father, I, I, I pray on behalf of the people here that we want to see more of Your light shine in every place of this church, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Would You shine Your light even brighter and by the power of Your Spirit enable us to repent of areas where we're living in darkness and believe that You are good and You will forgive and restore And then obey to do the best we can by the power of your Spirit, grace-filled obedience, not for any legalistic standing before you, but just out of gratitude because we love you and we want more of you in our life. Help us to repent, to believe, and obey to the light of Christ that has come to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.